I want to welcome you to our service here at Kakaka Christian Fellowship. Um, we're in the prototype 797 aircraft with uh, four, three aisles and, you know, all that stuff. So thought we'd try something different. And, uh, yeah, if you have any uh, complaints about the seating today, just, uh, just see Max Fowler. Uh, his number is, uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, we can do that. But so glad that you're here. Um, we really are starting on a, a six-week quest as a church to really stretch our faith, you know, to really stretch our faith and, 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 and to see if, you know, that we can be people, we can be a church that would live, would choose to live with, with daring faith. And that's what this um, campaign is about. Um, you know, we have small groups that are set up. There are about nine or ten of them, and and when you leave here today, on the table right outside, uh, there's going to be um, sign-ups that you can sign up for a small group. Or if you want to, uh, you can go online to our website. There should be a link there. And uh, you can sign up for uh, small groups online if you want to do that. Uh, there are going to be study guides that are available outside. This will help you. It's um, to have your discussion within your small groups every week. But also, it gives you uh, just a, a devotion that you can do every day for 40 days. And it's an opportunity you have. You just spend time with God, and, and it'll be really great. So, um, book is um, $15.95, but today, today only, is 10 bucks. So, go help yourself. Yeah. You know, keywords, sale. Um, but we're going to do that. So, make sure you go out and... Um, uh, sign up. I think it's going to be awesome. You know, the thing is, is that in order for us to grow in faith, that we have to get out of what is comfortable. Because it's, it's really hard to grow when we're comfortable, right? Like, like I mean, even little things, like when you come in and you think, I usually sit in the Left side and the third, you know, and you look and you came in today, it was like a little bit different today, a little bit uncomfortable. You have an opportunity to grow today because it's going to be a little bit uncomfortable, but that's how we grow, you know. Um, when we are uncomfortable and we take steps of faith, then, then we begin to, to grow, uh, begin to mature. You know, you think of all the uncomfortable times in your life when you're growing up, you know, first day at school. That's rough, you know? And, you know, first time you're doing this and first time you're doing that, you know, first time you, you, you when you move to a, a new place, you know, that's, it's uncomfortable. And then the more you begin to do that, the more you begin to mature and the more you begin to grow. And, and the result is that, that there's blessings. We receive blessings that, that we grow more mature, that, that we see answered prayer. And, and it's, it's really, it's really the, the best quest that we can be on. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to try to kickstart that in these next six weeks. Hebrews 11 verse 6 says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And, and the thing is, God earnestly, uh, God rewards us when we earnestly go after him and when we seek him with all our hearts. 
you know, um, we just can't go, it, go at it with, with half an effort. You know, we just have to go all in on that. And that's what this verse is saying. And, you know, the thing is, we're going to be answering this throughout these six weeks, but, but I wanted to, to, to just give you a, a glimpse of what faith is, because the question then is, okay, if we're going to have daring faith, and we're going to live by faith, and it's impossible to please God without faith, what is faith? You know, and one key element of faith is that faith is all about seeing from God's point of view. It's seeing things, seeing life from God's point of view. You know, that's what faith is. Uh, Hebrews 11.1 1 says, faith is the confidence in which is, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. See, faith is not desire. You know, sometimes we think, oh man, if I just want something bad enough, you know, just like, oh, if I, I want to, you know, that's not faith. That's not faith. Faith isn't um, a feeling, you know. Sometimes feelings get in the way. You know, so often, like, I, I have to discern between what I'm feeling and what God really wants. You know, does God really want me to, and, and it's hard because there's certain times I, you know, in my in my person, I just want that. And when I have all these feelings, man, it's really hard to see what God wants me to see. And so faith is not a feeling. Faith is not bargaining with God. You know, God, if you help me on this test, you know, if you let me just, I don't even need an A, just, just let me to pass. And if I pass this test, God, God, I will go to church every week for the rest of my life. You know, that, that's not faith. You know, bargaining with God is not faith. Faith is, is being certain of things we do not see. The Bible says that faith is, is really a way of seeing. And what really matters is that we begin to see things the way God sees things. You know? And when we begin to do that, um, life begins to change. That we just automatically begin to see things, oh, that's a little different now. We see challenges in a different way. We see problems in a different way. You know, um, the challenge, though, is that we want to, and God says we got to see things through the way he sees things, but the challenge is that so often we see things through eyes of fear, right? If you're like me, we see things through eyes of fear, you know, that, that instead of seeing things through eyes of faith, you know, it's so easy for us, oh, but what, what hap- what's going to happen if, or, oh, you know, and, and we get afraid. And, faith, and, and, and fear just kind of kills faith. And what we need to do is we need to begin to see things with eyes of faith and, and choose not to see things through eyes of fear. Numbers 13 and 14 um, is a really good example of this. You know, Moses had uh, just led the nation of Israel out of Egypt, you know, freedom from Pharaoh, freedom from Egypt, freedom from slavery, and he's led them out. They crossed the Red Sea, and they've been traveling for about two years now, and they're getting ready 
to cross into the Jordan, into the land that God has promised them. Right? So they're just there. And it's an exciting time because God says, go. And they went. They saw God do miraculous things, you know, part the sea, the whole thing. And they're right there ready to go in. So what they do is they send out 12 spies. And they say, why don't you guys go in, check it out. Before we all go in, we need to know what we're up against. And then they go, right? And they come back, and there's mixed reviews. There's Joshua and Caleb. They come back and they say, man, it's incredible. This is like an amazing land. It's like the, the best place. We got to go. Let's go. Okay? So two of them said, it's like great. We got to go. Ten of them came back and go, yeah, it, it, it's kind of It's kind of good. It's kind of good, but, um, uh, you know, and, and they were seeing things through eyes of fear. God had promised them that land. God had performed miracles, fed, fed them supernaturally, were doing amazing things. And they come in, and the land is right there. And two guys go like, yep. Because they had eyes of faith. The rest of them had eyes of fear. And what happens when we see things through eyes of fear instead of eyes of faith? Well, here's some things that happen when we do this. When we look through life, we see things, a situation, circumstance, whatever it is, we see it with eyes of fear. First thing is that we exaggerate our difficulties. We we, we tend to exaggerate our difficulties. In Numbers 13, 27, they gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here's its fruit. Then there's that word, but. But. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. God delivered them. From the greatest nation on earth. Delivered them from slavery to Pharaoh and his great nation of Egypt. And now, because of eyes of fear, they're afraid of just this local tribe. And that's what eyes of fear does. The ironic thing was 38 years later, what the next, you know, when the next generation uh, did actually go into the promised land, you know what the enemy said? They were there, okay? They were re- ready to go. And, and 10 guys go like, man, this is great, but. And he says, you guys don't understand. It's really good, but, you know, they're like giants. They're huge. And, and 38 years later, we read this. We have lived in panic. This is what the people in Canaan land, this is what they said. We had lived in panic for 40 years because we heard about your God and what your God did against the most powerful leader in the world, Pharaoh, and we were ready to surrender. (laughs) They're right there. God said, go in. Eyes of fear was like, we can't. They didn't know on the other side that the enemy was even more fearful of them and their God. And they were just going to surrender. They were just going to surrender. 
When we see things with eyes of fear, we begin to exaggerate our difficulties. Second thing is we underestimate our abilities. You know, like, who am I? You know, kind of feeling. In Numbers 13, 33, we saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Enoch came from the Nephilim, and we seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we look the same to them. How did they know what they looked like in the eyes of the people there? You know, they said we felt like grasshoppers. So obviously, they thought we were like grasshoppers too compared to them. And, 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 they, and they begin to, to get fearful and all the spies could see was that they were giants. But when Joshua led the people in, he defeated them. He defeated them because God was with them. See? And when we see things with eyes of fear, we just begin to underestimate our abilities. Third thing is we get discouraged, right? When you think these things with eyes of fear, man, you think God is calling me, but, and you just get so discouraged. Numbers 14.1, that night. See? So they get the report, 10 Ten of them go like, giant, we can't, grasshopper. Two guys go, we got to go. Ten guys go, so that night, all the members of the community, because they're all excited, right? Let's hear what uh, what the spies have said. They get this mixed report. All they could hear was what the ten guys were saying. And then that night, all the members of the community raised their voices. And what did they do? They wept aloud. They had this big old pity party. They said, man, you know, and that's what, Eyes of fear does. We get all discouraged, you know, and, and they, they, they have this giant pity party crying and weeping because they don't get to go in to the promised land. Oh, whoa, you know, we can't go in. The land is so good. We can't go in. Yeah. Who said they couldn't go in? Right? Who told them they couldn't go in? God was telling them, go in, take the land. It was their fear that was saying, you can't. And they got all discouraged. The fourth thing, is that we start to gripe about everything that's going wrong in our lives, right? You know, when you begin to gripe, that's a real sign that, that, that we're seeing things with eyes of fear. We gripe about everything going on in our lives. Numbers 14, 2. And all the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt. They want to die now. If only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness. That would have been better than where we are now. Yeah, the land's good. The giants, we're going to all die. We got this far. Man, we just, it would have been better if we died. And they begin to grumble. They grumbled in Egypt. They grumbled in the wilderness. And they're grumbling now. And when we see things through eyes of fear, it's so easy just to begin to gripe about, oh, man, if only I had, you know, if only I had more money. Oh, if only this, if only that. And we just gripe. And then the last thing is that, you know, the sad thing is we, we give up and then we begin to blame God. You know, we give up and we begin to blame God. Verse, verse 3, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Who said they were going to fall by the sword? God said, go in. And they're like, why is the Lord bringing us here? Our wives and our children will be taking us plunder. See, this is getting really, really bad for them. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And what they're saying is this is God's fault that we're here. It's God's fault that, you know, he's brought us to this place. Yeah, he, it's God's fault. We would rather be in Egypt. 
being a slave to Pharaoh was so much better, even though he was making it harder and harder for us, you know? He was making, we were miserable, but it was nothing compared to now. And they begin to blame God, see? And what they're saying was, we would rather be slaves than be free in where we are now. And God doesn't want us to be enslaved. God doesn't want us to be enslaved by fear. He didn't create us to die in the wilderness. He created us to live by faith. So what happens when we begin to see things with eyes of faith? Okay, real quick, faith shrinks our problems. Instead of making it exaggerating and making it worse, faith begins to shrink our problems. Faith gives us this new perspective. When you see things from God's perspective, everything has a whole uh, is a whole lot more manageable. In Genesis 18, verse 14, it says this, Is anything too hard for the Lord? Rhetorical question. The answer is no. Nothing is. Okay. Luke 1, 37, For nothing will be impossible with God. When you begin to see things from God's point of view, with eyes of faith, you know what? No matter what you're going through, it just shrinks your problem. It just shrinks no matter what you th- how big you think it is, it just shrinks. Faith opens, the second thing is faith opens the door for a miracle. Every time that God does a miracle, it's because someone believed. See, when we have eyes of faith, it just opens our lives to the possibility that God can do a miracle in our lives. In Mark eleven twenty two. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself in the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Hear what Jesus said? If we have faith, we don't doubt that that it just opens the door for a miracle. So much so, you can look at the mountain and pray, if for whatever reason why you would want that mountain to move, and that mountain will move. What is he saying? He says, faith can move mountains because God can move mountains. See? And, and faith opens the door for a miracle. Third thing is faith unlocks all the promises of God. You see, there are over 7,000 promises in the Bible. And, and Rick Warren says, they're all like blank checks waiting for you to claim them. Yeah. You ever saw the promises as blank checks ready for you to go and claim them? 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, For all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ. They've been fulfilled already with Christ with a resounding yes. And through Christ, our amen, which means yes, ascends to God for his glory. The promises of God only apply, it only apply to those who know the author. That, that when, when you know Jesus, when you know Jesus personally, you know the guarantor of this promise. And faith unlocks those promises. See? Faith unlocks the promises of God. Now, you read promises of God. Do you want what God promised? When you read the Bible, man, I hope God does that. I wish God would do that. 
See, when we look with eyes of fear, it's like, that'll never happen. It's too much. It's too big. I'm too bad. I'm too whatever. But with eyes of faith, it unlocks all the promises because they're already, they have already been fulfilled in Jesus. We just got to grab them. That's what eyes of faith does. Fourth thing, faith turns God-given dreams into reality. See, faith turns God-given dreams into reality. God gives us all dreams. The Bible is full of people with God-given dreams. Starting this church started with a dream. Ephesians 3, verse 20 says, Now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more, infinitely more than we might ask or think. Now, if there ever was a blank check in the Bible, that's it. That, that Paul is saying that God is able to accomplish infinitely more than we can even imagine or think or even think to ask. You see? And, and faith turns these God-given dreams into reality. What is it that God's given you a dream for? When we see with eyes of fear, we're like, oh man, that's a great dream, but... Right? When we see with eyes of faith, it's like, oh God, I'm going to walk in that. That's amazing, and I want to see that dream turn into reality. How? You just have eyes of faith. And the last thing is faith gives me the power to hold on in tough times. That's a huge one. Faith gives us the power to hang in there during tough times. You see, faith doesn't always take us out of a problem. Faith often takes you through the problem. Faith doesn't take away all the pain. Faith gives you the power to handle the pain. Right? Because when we go through th those things, we grow. 2 Corinthians 4. We are pressed on every side by troubles. Feel like that sometimes? Pressed on every side with troubles. But we are not crushed. We are perplexed. Man, just, are you confused? It's like, what's going on? You know? But not driven to despair. We're hunted down. Ever feel like, man, these things are closing in. But never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Where do you get resilience like that? It starts with just seeing things through eyes of faith. Corrie Ten Boom was a young woman sent to the Nazi death camp. And what she said was that people who survived were those who had the deepest faith. Why? Because it's faith that gives you the power to hang on and hang in there in tough times. You see, nobody... Nobody goes through life with an unbroken chain of successes. Not even the New England Patriots. Okay. Not even. Okay. Okay. Everybody has failures. Ask us 49er fans. Okay. Right? Everybody makes mistakes. We're all going to embarrass ourselves at one time or another. We all have pains and troubles and pressures, but it's faith. 
It's not a, who I hope I want. No. It's not a feeling. You know? It's not a bargaining with God. It's just a belief where you begin to see things the way God sees things. You make that decision. And it's when you have eyes of faith, faith gives you the power to hold on. See, I have a friend. We have a friend. His name is Sonny Oliveras. He does sound in second service. Sonny has stage four cancer, right? And in November of 2017, oh, Sonny, I'm going to share this, all right? Okay, he said yes. Okay. In 2007, November of 2017, he was diagnosed with, with cancer, esophageal, I don't know, GM, something, you know, esophagus kind of cancer, okay? stage four. And, and they said that um, you got about six months, okay? so you better take care of things. Sonny came, and he says, I got a choice. I can see things with, I can see this with eyes of fear, or I can see this with eyes of faith. Honestly, I think, man, I would have I pressured out, and I, I would have seen it with the eyes of fear, because that's rough, right? Six months. He came here and said, I need prayer. I, I, I'm going to believe and I'm going to trust God. Prayed, and he would come every week and pray. It is now the end of January 2019, and um, he has way past the expiration date that the doctors had set. Okay. He still has stage 4 cancer. He, and this is the part where eyes of faith gives you the power to hold on even in tough times. See, I, I was talking to him on Friday, and he said that the, the cancer that originated here with all the chemo that he's done, it's pretty much the doctors believe they've taken out some samples, whatever, going to find out this week. It's pretty much benign. That means there's no more cancer where it started. The problem was that it spread, right? So when they looked at... Uh, Whatever kind of scan and stuff they do, they found spots on his bones. That's what made it really bad. So, so the, the chemo has killed the cancer where it started. But to which I went like, yeah, all right, good. But he says, but you know what? That where the cancer is in the bones, he says, the best that doctors have said is that it will contain, it'll keep the cancer where it is. And as long as I keep taking chemo, the cancer will be where it is. I said, but the cancer can't just like get rid of it? He says, no, that's what the doctors are saying. Now, so he's saying to me, well, and I said, well, I heard you, I don't think you can take chemo for the, for the duration of your life, can you? He says, yeah, no, you can't. I said, how much longer can you take it? He says, well, they haven't said. That's rough, right? To know that you got to live going through chemo and the best you're going to get is going to stay the way it is. There's no hope, they're saying, that, that it'll be gone. And he said, you know, only God can heal me now, right? So we're praying. And I'm praying, and I want you, know, we're going to pray that God heals. But he said, you know what, I already, I'm, um, 
this is like all bonus. Every day is a bonus day. Right? It's way past six months. I just get all these bonus days. How do you live with, with the gratitude that every day is a bonus day? Eyes of faith. It's eyes of faith that gives us the power to hold on. And I'm here, and I'm supposed to be this pastor-type person, right? I'm supposed to encourage people we can't. No, Sonny encourages me all the time. I always imagine, but what would, if, the, if the roles were reversed, what would it be like? I'd be like those Israel, I'd be crying, weeping. Oh, That's what eyes of faith does. Faith is so important. It's, it's truly how we're going to experience the presence and the power of God. Fear is that one thing that hinders our faith. It really hinders our faith. Fear hinders our faith, and fear holds us back. Fear is one of our greatest enemies. I recently read a really great book, Everybody Always Becoming Love in a World Full of Setbacks and Difficult People by Bob Goff. And uh, Bob Goff had written a book, you know, Love Does, and he calls himself a recovering lawyer. And he's a follower of Jesus, and he sees life, and he sees things with eyes of faith. And he's a nut. Because all he sees is eyes of faith. He doesn't see things with eyes of fear. And when I grow up, I want to be like Bob Goff. And I've never, ever done this. But what I wanted to do today was I wanted us to watch um, a message, a part of a message um, of, of what Bob Goff was talking to a bunch of people at a conference, and they're talking about how to deal with human trafficking, right? And, uh, and, and, and he, he just, he so encouraged me to begin to look through life through eyes of faith. I wanted to have Bob share this message, all right, today. So take a look and listen. <laughs> oh, my gosh. This is like following Kenny G with a kazoo, right? <laughs> Francis Chan. <laughs> I'm supposed to be the suicide band. Hey, you guys. <laughs> How are you? This is what... 40 hours from Uganda looks like with Red Bull and Pop-Tarts. I left Kampala. <laughs> I left Kampala. In, I was standing in the Lazira Maximum Security Prison with 3,000 guys on death row 40 hours ago. And now I'm with you. And I am so honored to be with you. Because you guys are the ones that are doing stuff. Like you're just not thinking about it, agreeing. And I love some of the things that Francis was saying about that idea about what love does. It does stuff, right? We have this uh, parade that we have on our block. We live down in San Diego and our block's only like seven houses long. And so I wake up, we, this was 17 years ago with the little kids we got at the end of the block and we got together with a little old lady and we said, here are the rules for the parade. Everybody has to be in it, nobody can watch. Isn't that great? Could you imagine the Rose Parade, everybody on like Colorado Avenue? So 
Um, we got together at the end of the block and we walked down. There was just us. So we made the little old lady the queen, right? So the second year, we, we got to the end of the eight houses and we chest bump. We're like, yeah! And the next year, we had like 50 people and then 150 and 500. You guys, now when they line up, there's like, we move one house and we're all done. Like I get the fire truck. I go to the fire department. I say, you guys are having a parade. Will you bring the truck again? I said, either way, you're coming, right? 911. <laughs> Don't make me do another felony. So, <laughs> baby steps as a lawyer. So you guys don't think I'm such a wimp, but I'm afraid of balloons popping. Is that I get up at four in the morning and start blowing them up. And you know that thing where they go bigger, 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 and they go pop! And like all my kids are looking at me with the evil eye. They're like, Dad, would you get a clue? So this is what I'm tempted to do. I'm tempted to get a balloon and do this. And call it good. Right? And some of us, are doing that with our, our faith, with our lives, with their stuff, because we're afraid. We're afraid what will happen. We're afraid that people will think we're nuts. And you know what? We are. We're the ones that are doing stuff. And so one of the things for me that has changed my life is realizing I don't need to be afraid anymore. And I can go big with my faith. I can go big with my life. The passions that got you here, you can do the next thing. And I never know what all the steps are, but I usually know the next one. And you do too. Like that's the cool part. We, we don't have to settle for just the little version. We can go big with our life. One of the things that I had overcome is that I spent a lot of my time doing stuff that I was able to do. And what I ended up deciding is I was going to figure out what I was made to do and do a lot of that. You know what I mean? Instead of able to do, you guys could build a spaceship in here. We're at Juniper Networks. They could like do the electronics. But what is it that you were made to do and then start doing that? So I'm a lawyer and I said, I'm made to do justice. And like one of my heroes, John Cotton Richmond, like there's a guy that like only two guys have one name, like Jesus and MacGyver, right? And John Cotton Richmond's the only guy with three names, right? He's doing stuff. Francis is doing stuff. You guys are doing stuff. What I want to do is not just stuff. I want to do stuff I was made to do. And I literally have a post-it note at my house, and it just says three things. Love God, love people, and do stuff. Like instead of just agreeing, I love that about Jesus. He took just agreeing with them right off the table, right? There's no moment where he got all the disciples together and said, guys, I just want you to agree with me. He said, like, you don't need to know all the steps, just the next one. So for me, it was to go to Uganda and start getting kids that were put in prisons. And so I don't know all the steps, but the next step was I bought the entire Ugandan law library, both books. And I started briefing cases. And we tried the first hundred cases with these little, like, if I don't want your brother hanging out with my daughter, I accuse him of defilement. And that day, he goes to prison. And three years later, that 12-year-old kid is now 15, and he's never stepped foot in a courtroom. I'm like, this is nuts. Let's try the case. And when we tried 100 cases, we dropped off 98 kids with all the charges resolved. And that's evidence. There's this... Uh, there's this verse in Ephesians, and I love that it's a guy, Paul, that wrote it, and he was in prison unjustly. Doesn't that make sense? Like, that is what you guys are about. And this is what he says to his friends. He says, live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Isn't that great? And whether, you, whether God is a big deal in your life or you think humanity rocks, like, you're all right. 
What if we do this? Live into the calling worthy of the one you've received, not the one I've received. Because here, I was in uh, D.C. Have you guys ever been to Madame Trousseau's, the wax museum? I was there with my kids, and I've struck up a pose. Michael Jackson's alive. I've seen him. And I, I had this senator coat on and my suit, my best clip-on tie, and I said, kids, watch this. And I struck up a pose in between in the third and the fourth wax dude, and the kids are like, no, tell me I'm adopted. And I'm like, dad, act your age. I'm like, I am. So I struck up these poses. What I wasn't counting on is these two little old ladies came around the corner. They were older than dirt. And they walked up to me and they pulled my whiskers. Ah! They said, he looks so real. And I was thinking, just take it, because I'm a lawyer. And I knew if I said, like, boo, like they'd have a stroke and they'd own my house. So, so just. And you know what I realized? Like, they moved a couple wax dudes away, and I said, hi, and like, not wax, and they like, my kids are like, taxi, right? <laughs> but you know what I realized about myself? I'm a good poser. I am. And you know what? Some of you are too. And that, that's that idea, figuring out, not what you're able to do, but what did God make you to do, and then do lots of that stuff. And since I was made to do justice, I said, What's the next thing? And so we started trying more and more cases. And then there's this thing that came up on the radar. And it's something that Uganda doesn't have a monopoly on, but they're good at. And it's uh, witchcraft and child sacrifice. And the problem with child sacrifice, the belief system is that if you take the head or the blood or the private parts of a little kid and put them in the foundation of a building, like good things will happen. And I know it sounds gross, but there's 33 million people that believe it. And so all these kids go missing. The average age in Uganda is 15 years old. Is that nuts? It's a nation of children. And so I asked their chief justice, like, could I try one of those cases if it ever happened? He said, two problems. Number one, there's always a victim, but they're always dead. And number two, no judge will ever take on that case. They would never take that. And then last year, a little kid will call Charlie. Came along, he's eight years old. He's abducted on the way home from school by the witch doctor in the region. His name is Kabi. And Kabi takes him in a field and takes these private parts off to traffic them. And uh, he leaves Charlie for dead. But guess what, you guys? Charlie didn't die. And so now we have a victim who's alive, the biggest witch doctor in all the North. And so I asked the chief justice, can I try the case? And he said, yes. So I found this judge, this scrappy judge on the border of Congo. He said he would try it. So we brought Uganda's first case ever against a witch doctor and got a conviction. And this kid, this is a, it's a death penalty case. It's a death penalty case. And so Kabi goes to Lazira. But what happens to this little boy, Charlie? I mean, he's horribly disfigured with this machete and all that but there's a doctor trying to learn how to fly a beaver seaplane up in the Pacific Northwest. Do you guys know what beaver seaplanes are? They like take off and land on the water. I'll tell you, if they could make them out of beef jerky, they would, they're all guy. Like, so this doctor's trying to learn how to fly this plane. The person teaching him tells him all about what happened to Charlie. And he lands the plane and calls me at home and he said, Bob, I heard about this little boy and I can fix him. And I said, buddy, you didn't hear what got cut off because you can't fix that. And he said, I'm the chief of surgery at Cedar sinai Medical Center. I can fix them. And I said, what? 
so I drive up to LA and meet with this guy, and on a piece of paper, he starts drawing out like what he's gonna do. Guys, I have that piece of paper. If TSA finds it, I'm going to jail. <laughs> he's gonna take some legs, some arms, some whatever. So I asked him how much would it cost, and he said, it'd be staggering, but don't worry, I'll do it for nothing. So Cedar sinai 190 days ago, wrote a check for $50,000. And I went over to get this little kid in Uganda. And so I get him, I bring him back. He's never even seen an airplane. We land in London and he says, like, Uncle, could we just walk the rest of the way? Isn't that cute? I'm like, oh, buddy. Now I gotta give you a little brief. Do you guys play pranks on people? I love playing pranks. There's this guy, Doug. You know him. He's a soft target. And so you, everybody has one of those in their life, right? Well, Doug made the mistake of telling me where he was spending his 10-year anniversary. <laughs> He'd rented out this like penthouse suite and all that. So I took Sweet Maria Goff, and the two of us checked in as them. <laughs> so we go up the elevator, we get the doors open up into the room. I mean, it's that cool. And so I call room service and I order lobster and creme brulee and there's some dessert, it was on fire, so I had two. And like, we danced and like, when we were all done, we tidied up and we split. And the whole idea is he would leave after arriving and get this $400 bill when he's leaving. Like, who needs a friend like me? So he's been trying to get me back for years now, but he can't, because I'm a lawyer. I get a call three years ago. And it's uh, from this guy with a really thick Ugandan accent, and he said, uh, this is Ambassador Kamunanwari, and I'd like to know if you'll be counsel for the Republic of Uganda. <laughs> and I covered the phone, he said, Maria, it's Doug. He says he's the ambassador. I mean, he wants me to be the lawyer for Uganda. I'll just say yes. So I said, that, that would be awesome. I was hoping you'd ask, like, does somebody owe you money? Like, so, he's, so Doug says, like, I'm leaving for Uganda for uh, two months, and I'll call you when I get back. I thought this like prank had gone his course. Two months later, the phone rings. It's Doug again. He says, this is Ambassador Kamunanwari, and I need you to meet me in New York on Saturday. So I said, yes. Now, I'm getting off the plane at JFK, and I think there's going to be a sign saying, I gotcha. But at the bottom of the ramp are all these people from Uganda's cabinet. And I was like, ah! And this really jolly guy comes running up, and he says, I'm Ambassador Kamunanwari. And I said, of course you are. And, and he introduces me as Uganda's new consul. And he, I said, no, no, you said like counsel, like lawyer. He said, no, no, I said consul, like diplomat. I'm thinking, yes. So you guys, I'm Uganda's consul. Is that crazy? When you guys start doing what you're doing, all these incredible things will happen. Haven't you seen that? Do stuff. Do stuff because Jesus is nuts about you. Do stuff because you love humanity. Just do stuff. And all this crazy, I got to tell you the best part about being the consul for Uganda. You get some little flags for your car. It's a little much for the truck, but like, dude, I got the flags. I'm using them. But you guys, I've got some bitchin' license plates. I can park, I can park out here, anywhere. But the best part of anything, I've got diplomatic immunity. I could kill you. I could! <laughs> well, when we land, when Charlie and Aunt, I land in London, I open up my, uh, my uh, emails, and there's an email in there, and it says White House on it. So I'm thinking, Doug, right? Because the message said we'd, we'd like to meet Charlie. 
So I make a couple of calls, you guys, it's legit. So we fly from London to Washington, D.C., and this kid who was standing on the border of Congo before, two days before, is now standing in the Oval Office. You guys, there's a start of this book called Acts in the Bible, and it says, Theophilus, lover of God, look for many convincing proofs that Jesus is alive. I love that. It's like to a lawyer, it sounds like dusting for fingerprints. And man, I don't need to dust long. When I'm around you guys, I see evidence of Jesus. I see evidence of you guys being engaged. Wherever you're at, you guys are leaving off that scent because you're doing stuff. And so Charlie and I land in Los Angeles after leaving the White House, and we go to the Disneyland, because any kid that's going to get that operation needs to go to the happiest place on earth, right? <laughs> so we go there, and, and so the next, the next morning, I take him to Cedar sinai and I gave him a little kiss on the forehead, and I said, Charlie, be not afraid. And you know what? Randy Sherman hooked him up. You guys... The stuff that you're doing, the ripples that are going out from your life are just huge. Let me ask you this, though. The way my world works, there's great little kids like Charlie, and there's bad guys like Cobby. So I visited Cobby in prison. I started visiting him every 60 days when I'd go back to Uganda. And the first time I came in, I hadn't seen him since we put him there. And he took a knee, and he started talking about how bad he felt about what he'd done to Charlie. And I was thinking, you just feel bad you got caught. And then he started talking about witchcraft and where it had taken him. And then his words, not mine, he said, you know what I need? I need forgiveness. And you know what, you guys? I didn't want to give it to him because what he had done to my friend. But I love, in my worldview, I love that Jesus' ability to forgive us isn't limited by our ability to get it. And Kabi comes to Christ. You know, what can God do when we see things with eyes of faith instead of eyes of fear. I mean, God can do the impossible. God can do the impossible. And my prayer is that as we go through this campaign and as we grow in daring faith and we begin to see with eyes of faith that we would begin to see evidence of Jesus all over the place. See, that's what God has for us. Uh, real, as he continued, what happened was, was Charlie got the surgery and the doctor said everything worked out just perfectly, reconstructive surgery and all that. But he said, you know, the only thing is that he'll never be able to have children. Obviously, because, you know, of what happened. He's never going to have children. Um, I think it was a couple of years ago that um, I heard an update on that. By some miracle, the doctors are saying now, we don't know how, why, whatever. But Charlie's going to be able to have children. How crazy is that? See, that's, that's only God. And that's seeing with eyes of faith. So I want to encourage you to take these steps of faith. Take small steps of faith. Get rid of your eyes of fear. Let's walk, begin to walk with eyes of faith. What are some things you can do? One, come every Sunday for the next six weeks and just, just learn more. Allow God to speak to you, right? Not only that, I'll go to the table, join a small group. Join a small group or start a small group. Just join a group. And during the week, you just continue to grow and be encouraged to begin to walk in daring faith, right? So go out there, join a small group. Get a study guide. Get a study guide. You say, well, I don't have $10. You don't have $10? That's okay. Neil Morikami will pay for your thing. Just put 
have a Neil list and just put your name and I'll collect the money from Neil later, all right? But, but you see, get a study guide. Get a study guide. And then the third thing is, is just invite people. Invite other people. People who are outside this church, whatever, just invite them. Invite them to that small group. Invite them here on Sunday morning and, and, and see what God does. And then the last thing, just spend time with God daily. See, in the study guide, there's this 40-day devotional. Use that as the basis for it. Say, God, I want to begin to see with eyes of faith. Will you help me to see? And for the next 40 days, just spend a little time with God and see what God does. We got to go out. I want us to go out. And I want us to go and see evidences of Jesus all over the place. That's what a life of daring faith looks like. All right? Why don't you stand with me and... Um, I'm going to pray and we're going to close with a song, all right? So, Father, I pray that all of us would just catch it, God, that we would catch it, that we would begin to say, God, enough with the eyes of fear. we got to begin, i got to begin to see with eyes of faith. Let that start now. I make a decision, God. I'm afraid, but I'm going to make a decision. From now on, I've got to see through the eyes of faith. Will you give me the faith? Will you empower me to walk a life of daring faith. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.